Good morning. You guys doing well? Good. Man, you guys are excited. What's up with that? Yeah. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. We started 1 Peter in, at Easter. It's going to take us a while to get through it, working through it verse by verse and uh, talking about it, seeing how it applies to our lives. Hey, I need to give you a quick announcement before we head into our text and our topic here this morning. We are excited about what God's doing here at Desert Breeze. We're just really overwhelmed and it's beyond our wildest dreams since we've moved into our new facility here. It's been about six to eight months, seven months, seven to eight months, something like that. Our numbers have just been over the top. I mean, we've just been packed out. Uh, just uh, So praise God in this new facility. In fact, we were looking at our numbers last weekend, Memorial Weekend, kind of the kickoff of the summer. We had, um, uh, we, we looked at our numbers a year ago with that same weekend, and last weekend we had over 300 more folks on the campus than, uh, so that I mean, it's like a, it's like a 60% increase, and so overall we've got about a 30% increase, and, uh, and we're really excited about that. Uh, it creates a problem though, okay? So let me, let me tell you a little bit about the problem. The problem is this place is packed out here on Sunday mornings. I mean, look around in here. There's a few seats up here, people that don't want to get spit on. But uh, other, other than that, I mean, there's not very many seats in here. And in fact, uh, the first service was the same. First service was packed out. So our Sunday morning services are jam-packed. We've hit our lid. We have about 1,200 folks that call this their church home. So we've seen phenomenal growth. And we don't want to stop reaching the community with the amazing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what are we going to do? Uh, well, uh, actually, phase two, dare you to move phase two. Many of you are giving to that. We're kind of in the sketching uh, part of that right now. We're going to be kicking out these walls. I don't know if you know this, but we own, we own uh, half of this building from this point all the way around. And we've got, uh, we, we have like four folks at least from us. And they're going to be gone here in about a year and a half. So we'll be presenting to you a little bit more of Dare You to Move To. We already talked about it. Many of you are on board. And so we're going to be kicking out these walls and pushing it that way. Now, in the meantime, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you would consider, when you come in here on Sunday morning, sitting on each other's laps. <laughs> oh, I think I heard a couple of single people say, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, no, I didn't. But uh, no, we're not going to ask you to do that. We're actually, actually going to ask you to consider hanging out with us on Saturday night. We've got plenty of room Saturday night. So if we get about 75, 50 to 75 to join those that are already meeting on Saturday night, consider it. Just check it out. I know some of you can't do that because based on schedule and a number of other things, but just so that we can make more room because uh, the likelihood of unchurched people coming in are going to be typically on a Sunday morning. And so, and I, and I want you guys to be able to keep your options open because sometimes you have things busy, you're busy on Saturday night, so that's why you come on Sunday morning and vice versa, you can flip that. But uh, man, we're excited about what God's doing. Uh, I think uh, the future's never looked brighter here at Desert Breeze. You guys are all part of that. So hang on, who knows what God has in store for us. So it's exciting times around here. And uh, so I'll be sharing with you in the next few weeks, I'll be saying that same thing until you kind of start thinking maybe Saturday night, Saturday evening, coming over and checking that out and trying that out, just to kind of balance it out, especially this service, uh, just to make some more room in this service. So hey, we got a great study here this morning. 
So if you have your Bibles, I already told you, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through 21. We're going to spend about three, four weeks in this. Uh, Darren kicked it off last week, really outlined it, gave us a really good understanding of this text. And this is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. Not just in a broken world, but, but through a broken world. That uh, You guys would agree, this world is pretty busted up. And, uh, and this is what's amazing about what God does in our lives, that through the brokenness, we're able to find wholeness uh, through the amazing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, we're, we're, we've titled this weekend's message, wholeness, wholeness of Mind. Wholeness of Mind. Holiness comes from the English word wholeness. And so when we're talking about wholeness, we're talking about holiness. Those are kind of synonymous words that we're using here through... Uh, this series and then through uh, these next few weeks as we talk about this. Now, uh, Darren did a phenomenal job explaining to us this, this idea of the holiness of God and then our own personal holiness. So pop quiz time, I'm going to ask you a little bit of what you learned last week. But maybe if you were sitting there and you were singing that last, that last song and some of the songs we talked about, holy, 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 particularly that last song. If you, as, we, as you were singing that song, you're going, oh my goodness, how many times are they going to say holy, 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 holy? When is this song going to get over? You know, it's like, ah, I'll go get a couple more shots of my latte because it's getting a little cold. So when is it going to... Here's the deal. If you were saying that, a couple different reasons. could be that you're not a believer. And I understand that. You're just like, wow, these, what is, what's up with these songs? And I, I understand that. I'm glad you're here. But it could be that you're a believer and you are totally, which oftentimes we are, you're totally out of touch with the magnitude of that theology of his holiness because it makes all the difference in the world and how you live your life and how you're going to respond to him. I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. Holy, holy. It's the only attribute throughout the scripture where it says that God is holy, holy, holy. Three times. Emphasis. So what does that mean? Turn to the people around you. If you don't know them, maybe a big good time to get to know them, but I'm not going to give you that much time, so... Just, I'm going to give you about 20 seconds. Find out what does that mean that God is holy, and then what does it mean that we are to be holy? Because we're going to read it here in a bit. This is what he says. We read it last week. He says, be holy because I'm holy. It's a really important topic for us. So do that real quick. 20 seconds. 20, 30 seconds. Real quick. Okay, I think was that, that was over 20 seconds, wasn't it? Okay, so, so okay, here, here it is, here it is. By the way, if you have a set of notes, I gave you the answers on the set of notes. So if you were paying attention, you just refer to the notes. Oh, it's right here. Oh, you look smart. That's why you need to grab some notes and pay attention and uh, follow along. So, so look at on the notes. So God is holy means that God has no rivals or imperfections in all of his attributes. Yes. Why is that so big? Why is that so important? Because I'm his kid. I'm his child. He has no rivals. If I'm part of his family, man, nothing can defeat me. Nothing can take me out of his family, so to speak. And, and, and there's no imperfections in all of his attributes. 
What does that mean? That, that, that means that his, and, and so this idea of holiness means perfection. So, so he's holy, he's perfect in his love towards us. He's perfect, he's holy in his wisdom towards us. He's, he's holy, he's perfect towards his, in his power operating in us and through us. That's amazing. That's breathtaking. See, this is the love that you've been looking for your whole life. There's no greater love. Holy, perfect. That's why it's an emphasis. Holy, holy, holy. Oh my goodness. This is the wisdom. This is the insight. This is the truth that will bring freedom to your life unlike anything else. He's perfect. He's perfect in his wisdom and his understanding of us and know, knowing exactly what we need as, he, as he's working in our lives. And then he's perfect in his power. This is a power working for us and in us and through us unlike anything you've ever experienced before. So when he's saying that, I mean, this is, this is the magnitude of this, uh, that he has no rivals, no imperfections. He's holy, holy, holy. And so this makes a difference in our holiness. So, that, so our holiness, holiness is giving your life holy to God. And uh, I was raised in a church that tended to focus more on the externals than the internals. And I believe that holiness really actually starts more on the inside and then it works its way on the outside. But they tended to kind of work on the outside to the inside. So they said things like, well, we don't go to movies. We, didn't, we never went to any movies. And we didn't dance. And... I probably didn't miss much by not going to dances, but, uh, but my first movie that I went to was actually American Graffiti. And, uh, and I thought I was going to go to hell. That's not very funny. You guys laughed. I actually thought that. I thought, oh, I hope Jesus doesn't come back before I get out of this movie. Oh. Because they actually defined holiness as some kind of external, rigid you know, punch list. Now, you might come up with some sort of punch list, but it's going to, for the most part, it's going to be God's word, but for the most part, it's going to start on the inside. It's this insight. So notice holiness is giving your life holy, holy to God, mind, emotions, and will. And so the mind, we're going to talk about today, next week, emotions, and then the will, the hands. So you can kind of see that. So here's the deal. To the degree I am captivated by God's holiness is to the degree that I will be holy God's. I'm spelling holy, meaning holy, W-H-O-L-L. Why? It only makes sense. C.S. Lewis put it this way, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. There's not a more content, not a more courageous, not a more compassionate person than a holy person because they are holy, wholly devoted to God because of his holiness. He's perfect in his love, wisdom, and power working in our lives. So you can see how the, two, how the two are connected. And so really, we could take this down to really our everyday life. Much of our anxiety, worry, and stress are really the result of our not being wholly devoted to God, which comes from our low view of God. See, what you need more than anything is a high view of God. What's being taught in many churches in America today is a very low view of God. A very big view of you, but a very low view of God. And, and so what we need is to have that sense of, you're holy. Oh, my goodness. 
See, that's what's going to get us through the issues of our life is to know that God's bigger than the issues of our life, bigger than the problems of our life. We need to see that he is holy. And then, therefore, it's only natural. I'm going to be wholly devoted to him. The reason why I'm anxious and angry and depressed and I kind of, as I work through all these issues in my life, because I'm still trying to kind of hang on to my life, trying to control things in my life, trying to control the people in my life so that I, so that I can feel better about my life as opposed to saying, no, I'm wholly devoted to you, God. Whatever you... Whatever you do, whatever you perform, whatever you're up to, I'm going to surrender completely to that. I know that you have my best interest at heart because you love me, you gave your life for me. And so, so that's, that's part of that. And we've heard, you've heard me say this before too, is that worry, worry is belief that somehow God's going to get it wrong. And bitterness is really belief that he did get it wrong. It's because you don't know this holy God. He's holy, holy, holy. Uh, a number of years ago, I heard from a Christian psychologist. He said that mental health is being in touch with reality and relatively free of anxiety. Now, I want you to think about that. So that he was using that as a definition of mental health. Mental health is being in touch with reality, relatively free of anxiety. And let me just say, I would agree with that, except, and I, I think this is what he meant by this, is that if you're in touch with reality and relatively free from anxiety, it's only because you're clinging to a holy, holy, holy God. In fact, the more in touch you are of reality, the more you're going to be desperate for him and know him and to experience him. That's when you're really in touch with reality. Now, if, you're, if you tell me that you're in touch with reality and you're relatively free from anxiety and you don't know Jesus, it's because you're medicating and you're probably not really in touch with reality as much as you think you are. And there's all sorts of medi medications that we, we look to, we get involved in. Think about that. If you're really in touch with reality, this place is really messed up. Our lives, where, where's, where's your life headed? And the more, you be, the more you're in touch with the reality, the only way that you can be relatively free of anxiety is that, oh, my life is wholly devoted to him because he's holy, he's perfect in love, wisdom, and, and power. You guys tracking with me? I mean, that's important stuff. That's really important stuff. That's where we're headed this morning. We got a wonderful study in store for us. Just uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me and let's allow God to speak to us this morning through his amazing word. Father God, you are holy, holy, holy God almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. You are in categories beyond categories. You have no rivals and no imperfections in all of your attributes. Overtake us by your holiness so that we can be more and more wholly devoted to you. That every part of our lives and every moment of our lives is lived for your glory. Thank you that through Christ we never have to be afraid of losing your father love, but only wounding your father love by not, by not looking to you for our deepest satisfaction. Help us to do that. So open our eyes to wonderful things from your word. Help us to not just see you through the study of your word, but be seized by your incomparable, transcendent perfection in all of who you are and what you have done as we behold your glory and become more and more whole. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this. So the text, we're gonna, like I said, three weeks in this, three more weeks, including today. He says, verse 13, 1 Peter chapter one, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Oh, I love that. We're children of God. So as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. Notice it doesn't start by saying don't conform to to the passions of your former ignorance. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But it starts off, we're obedient children. We're children of God, of course. We're going to follow him. We're going to be wholly devoted to him the more we understand his holiness. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Pretty strong emphasis there. And if you call on him as father, there it is again, I love that, as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, I was praying this last week, kind of working through this text, prayerfully working through this text, and when I hit the next two verses, they were, it was so overwhelming, uh, just the presence of God as God began to speak to me about uh, the price that was paid uh, that ransomed me from the futile way that, that I had inherited from my forefathers. It was amazing. I just, I began to weep. And, uh, and I was in kind of a public setting as I was doing that, so it kind of probably felt a little strange, though it was at a prayer, it was a place of prayer, though. But so they probably understood. But notice what it says here, and I've memorized this in the NIV, but it says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. The word futile just means empty. So anything apart, a life lived apart from Christ, I don't care how many Super Bowl rings you might have or, you know, how, what a great athlete you are or how much money you have packed away in the bank. Or, it doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus. It's, the Bible says it's futile. It's what we, what we tend to applaud and make much of. The Bible says, ah, oh, that's pretty empty. You have no idea. You have no idea. What you have in Jesus is what he's saying here. He says not, so we were, uh, let's see, knowing that you were ransomed. By the way, the word knowing is not just mental assent, but it's really an experience of this. Knowing, experiencing this. We'll talk about this. It's truth entering the head, igniting the heart, outworking through the hands as you begin to respond to this. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with a perishable thing such as silver and gold, but with the precious. That word precious means valuable. Oh my goodness. How valuable. Now think about that. The God, the God of the galaxies came to this earth to rescue you. He gave his life for you. That's the gospel. That's overwhelming. I've never been the same. I've never been the same. The more that, uh, and I never get tired of hearing that. It's just something that just recharges me and refreshes me. And, and so, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So this was God's plan from the beginning, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you and through him are believers in God and who raised him from the dead. He conquered hell, sin, death, and who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, okay, so wholeness of mind, number one, look at your notes. The Christian faith is historical, factual, and evidential. 
Did you notice when we started reading, he said, therefore. What is therefore about? It's talking about the previous verses. So the first 12 verses, this is, he gives us really salvation. And in that salvation, he's just like going through the ceiling. He said, man, if you have any idea what you have through Jesus, you're going to go through the ceiling too. Salvation and celebration go hand in hand. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And then, if you remember, then we studied verses 10 through 12, and he's really laying it out. He says, hey, wait, by the, by the way, this salvation is predicted in the Old Testament. And then it was proclaimed in the New Testament. So predicted by the prophets, proclaimed by the apostles in the New Testament. So this is historical. It's factual. It's, there's evidence. You can do the research. Um, and so that's why he says, prepare your minds for action. Come on, wake up. Now, I know you guys get tired of this from time to time, but I'll do this and I'll go, okay, wait, wait, wait. Look up here. Look up here. Everybody look up here. Okay. And then usually you'll see everybody's head go, whoop. And I do that because, because it's biblical. It's right here. It's right in the scriptures, okay? No, I don't do that because of that, but I do that just to get your attention. But in essence, that's what he's doing. He's saying that. He's saying, hey, hey, prepare your minds for action. Come on, come on. Be alert. Wake up. And later on, fifth chapter of this same letter, eighth verse, he's going to say, using this kind of the same language, be self-controlled and alert your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion we're in a battle and so he uses this and literally in the greek and some of your translations actually say this gird up the loins of your mind what in the world is that what's a loin sounds weird doesn't it but it's talking about the robes that they wore in those days and he said like people getting ready for battle or getting ready to run is that they would take the the hem of their uh, robe and pull it up and tuck it into their girdle into their belt. And that's what he's saying. Free your legs so that you can run. But he's saying that metaphorically as it relates to your mind. Be alert. And then he says, uh, be sober-minded. So he's not only saying being alert, but he's saying the idea of sober-minded is being touch, be in touch with reality. And the only way that you can be in touch with reality is to have a biblical worldview. And we'll talk about that. Is that you've got to begin to evaluate all of life through God's word, what God's word says. And so, uh, and so, that, and so that's, that's all part of it. So the, the Christian faith is historical, factual, evidential. In fact, what's interesting about this is that then in uh, 2 Peter 1.16, Peter even says, uh, these are not cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Those are rich words. So... Um, so the Christian faith is not a blind leap into a dark chasm, but it's a step into the light. And the more you step into the light, you begin to see that, uh, wow, wow, this is, this is God. Um, you know, I, I've had people say it to me, and they've, they've said, well, I don't think this guy will ever become a believer because he's too intellectual. So you're telling me he's just like way too smart to become a believer? Is that what you're saying? That's an insult when someone says that. It's like, well, he's too smart. He just thinks, he thinks too deeply. No, no, no. He might be an intellect, and it's not because he's thinking too deeply. He's not thinking deep enough because the intellects that I know that begin to engage their brain is that as they begin to evaluate the claims of Christianity, they're blown away, and they typically will write books like uh, Josh McDowell who wrote volumes because he was trying to refute Christianity, and this is what he says in The Resurrection Factor, which I have many of his volumes. He says in The Resurrection Factor, for him to deny... 
the reality of the veracity of the scriptures in this man Christ Jesus, he would have to commit intellectual suicide. He'd have to deny his ability to think because the more I began to think, the more I began to investigate it, I began to discover it was historical, factual, and evidential. Does that make sense? So, so that's, the, that, that's the basis. That's the basis uh, of Christianity. Uh, jo- uh, Lee Strobel did the same thing. His wife challenged him, and so he wrote the case for faith, case for Christ, case for creation. And so it's a step into the light. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He was also uh, an atheist. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, not, not only do I see it, so evidence, it's historical, it's factual, but because by it I see everything else. Everything else in life, okay, I'm beginning to make sense. This biblical worldview is beginning to help me to navigate through life. And, oh, I, I can see why this place is so jacked up now. Now I see the one that has come to rescue us. Oh, now I, now I see it. Now I see it. So how do we know there is a God? He's revealed himself to us through creation, conscience, commandments, through his word, but ultimately through Christ. He showed up here. God invaded our pathetic plight with his presence to rescue us. It's historical, it's evidential, it's factual. Next point, number two, the Christian faith is truth, entering the head, igniting the heart, outworking through the hands. I talked about that. I gave you some verses. You can do a little further study on them. Now, this is what I find interesting is that churches, and I'm not, not saying that we're balanced in this. We're still kind of working through this ourselves, but every, every, there's many churches out there that tend to gravitate towards one of these or the other to one of these to the exclusion of the other two. And you, to be really balanced in your worship experience, you need to have all three of those. For instance, there's fundamentalist churches that tend to be a bit legalistic, authoritarian. Uh, they stress the will. Don't think. Just do what the Bible says. Just obey. No questions asked. Come on. What's wrong with you? Just obey. And that would be more of that fundamentalist kind of focused more on the head intellect. And then there are liberal churches. They're, they're anti-intellectual. They say, hey, we don't care what you believe, what you think, as long as you do good deeds, social justice. Let's just be kind to one another. Now, the interesting thing about that is that when they say that, that's a contradiction because why would you do good deeds unless you believe human beings had dignity and were worth doing good deeds for? So you still have some kind of a belief system that supports that. So it's a bit of a contradiction to say that. And then there's the, what would we classify more of kind of high churches. They put the, the emphasis more on the, uh, on more of the experience. Uh, it could be more of the ritual. You get caught up in the aesthetic experience, architecture, glamour, liturgy. Uh, there's a number of churches that could fit into this category. Actually, it would be Catholic churches. Uh, people need to have that, the robes and the priest and the incense and all of that, and they feel better about that. And then, but there could also be charismatic churches. It's all about emotion. I was kind of raised in a little bit more of that, where you know people get up there and they're leading worship. Come on, you can praise God better than that. Cool. It's like, yeah, that makes me want to praise God. <laughs> it's called emotionalism. Give me something to praise God about, you know, let me begin to see who he is and that praise will naturally flow from me. So that's, so that makes, so as you begin to see that, and it can also be kind of more of a secret church where they're more about the, it's more about entertainment than it is an encounter with the living God. So you can see how we can all fall prey to that. We all do. But here's the deal. Why did you come here today? I, I hope that you came to encounter God and this is what it would, would look like. 
is that if you come here and you make this your church home and you embrace the essentials of the Christian doctrine and you believe what we believe and yet it never moves you or stirs you emotionally, well, that's not worship. It's kind of dead orthodoxy. But if you come in here and have an emotional experience every, every week and yet it never transforms your life, your capacity to love God and love others around you, particularly those in your own home, doesn't grow, that's not worship either. You see, when you encounter the living God, the God of the Bible, when you begin to understand holy, 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 wow, yes, my life is holy yours. I give you my life. It's going to make a difference in your life. It's just going to make a difference. And uh, that's truly a worship experience. That's what I seek every day. That's what I seek for you every weekend when we come and hang out. And just, just understand that. Uh, that's, what, that's our goal, weekend. Weekends, we want you to know God. We want you to encounter God. Here's the next point on your notes. So the foundation of the Christian faith is biblical thinking about the object of our faith, Christ Jesus. So it's really focusing in on the object of our faith. Faith is not a feeling, a force, or a formula. It's not like working the right combination. You know, if you pray this certain way, and if you have just enough faith, then, then you can get God to do what you want him to do. No, that's not, that's not biblical faith. It's not a formula. It's not feelings. It's not a force. It's fellowship with God. It's friendship with God. It's walking with God. And it's not the size of your faith, but the object of your faith that matters most. So what do you do if your faith is really weak? What if I don't see the, the change, the transformation that I so desperately need in my life? In fact, quite frankly, I'm going through a crisis right now or difficulty, and I'm kind of freaking out. I'm responding to this as if God's nowhere to be found. How would you increase your faith in that? By getting to know the object of your faith. Get to know him. Get to know him. Oh my goodness. Walk with him. Live his word. Contribute to his work. Make an impact in this world. I mean, just walk with him each and every day. Get to know him through his word. Ask God, God, reveal yourself to me unlike ever before. That's what we were singing that song. Holy, holy, holy. Let us see your glory. That's what we need. A high view of God. That's what you need. And, uh, and so you just, you get to know him. You begin to focus on him. That's the reason why I believe he's got verses 18 through 19. Did you notice that? He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile. So he's kind of walking through this. He's wanting us to think. What? Yeah, that was all futile. Any life apart from God is empty. That's what he's saying. It's just, ah. but look what he did. He rescued us to give us a life that, that most people only dream about. That's the life that we have through Jesus Christ. And he talks about what was paid, precious blood of Christ. And so that's part of focusing on that. And the more you focus on that, the more it begins to transform you. I gave a couple uh, more verses there. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Let me walk you through this. Uh, we studied this back when we did our City on a Hill teaching series. And uh, Jesus is talking about not being anxious. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Okay, that sounds good. I don't want to be anxious. I don't like getting stressed out. So what do I need to do? And he says, well, don't be anxious about what you'll eat or, or drink or what you're going to put on, all that stuff, that temporal stuff. Don't get stressed out. But then he says, he says, look at the birds, look at the birds of the air. What is he saying? He's saying, think. Think about how your heavenly father takes care of them. And then a little bit further down, he goes, consider the lilies. Think. Think about how he takes care of this planet and, then, and then, so he's begin, beginning to give us that remedy to, to work through that. Uh, 
Matthew 14, 22 through 33, this is the story where the disciples are about to go deep sea diving. They don't want to, but they're in a boat, and there's a big storm, and it's pretty frightening, which is interesting for some fishermen who would be used to this, but it's, it's pretty over the top for them. So Jesus comes walking out to them. He calms the storm. Peter asks, hey, if that's you, let me come out to you. So you guys know the story. Peter walks out on the water, which would be a phenomenal experience in itself, and what does Peter do, though? He doesn't make it quite out to Jesus. His eyes are on Jesus initially, and he's doing really well. But what does he do? Are you guys familiar with the text? He looks to, and literally it says he looks to the wind and the waves. He kind of looks, looks off, takes his eyes off of Jesus, not focusing on the object of his faith anymore. And what does he do? He goes snorkeling. <laughs> yeah. And guess, guess who was there to pick him up, though? And so anytime you go snorkeling, by the way, you will go snorkeling. Because we all tend to get our eyes off of Jesus. But guess who's there to pick you back up? He's right there. Pulled him back up. Come on. And he talks about their faith. And, he's saying, and, and, and in all of that, he's really wanting to help them to understand, to keep their focus on him, the object of their faith. My wife went in for gallbladder surgery a number of years ago. And as we were getting ready to take her in for surgery, she found out from a few, we have a no, number of medical care people here that are involved in that whole industry. And uh, she was telling one of the gals about the doctor she's going to go under the knife with, and this gal said, oh, that doctor? Uh, that doctor has the highest infection rate. And so my wife goes, wow, that's really wonderful to know. Uh, I'm going to, you know, move the schedule up to my surgery and so that we can hurry up and get this over with. No, she didn't do that. She says, oh, I'm going to cancel that. So, so what she did was that she began to do the research and began to find out who was a good, capable, reliable doctor through references and through people who had had that experience. And so she began to reason, reason to a point of probability. This looks like the best doctor. So we can reason to a point of probability, but it takes commitment to lead to certainty. Eventually, she had to go under the knife. So she went under the knife. It was successful. Now she can give recommendations and she can say, no, yeah, hey, I, I really trusted this person. He did a really great job. And that's a little bit of what, what faith is. The foundation of faith, Christian faith, is biblical thinking about the object of our faith, Christ Jesus. And so what I, here's what I'm saying is that people lose faith because they stop thinking they stop reasoning. They stop looking at the evidence. Faith is not the opposite of reason. It's looking at the evidence. You stop looking at the evidence and you start listening to your emotions and your fears and your circumstances and it's gonna drive you crazy. But you look into the God's word. You begin to look at the evidence. You, you begin to think, wait a minute. He gave his life for me. He rescued me. He loves me. If he took care of my worst problem, he's gonna take care of all the lesser problems that I'm facing. Yes. Yes, you think through the implications of that. Yeah, but my circumstances look pretty chaotic right now. It doesn't matter. He's bigger than your circumstances. He loves you with an everlasting life. It's perfect. He's wise. He knows what he's doing. He's in control. So you begin to work through that. You think about that. Proverbs 4.23. You might want to write that down in your notes. Proverbs 4.23 and then 23.7, 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, sets the course of your life. 23.7 says this, as a person thinks within himself, then so is he. That's kind of the, more of the new American standard. You'll have to read the footnote in the ESV, but that's basically what it's saying. 
So you get the idea that a lot of what we're thinking, what captivates our thoughts, really is the course of our life. And this is what Jesus is saying, hey, focus on me. Think about me. Think about what I've done for you as you face the obstacles of life. I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I think that's a little bit of, in Psalm 42, what the writer is saying. He's saying, he's kind of talking to himself. He's preaching the gospel. He said, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. I will hope in God. So he's talking to himself. He's working through that. And that's, that's what we have to do. So worry is the, is the absence of thinking. Unbelief is the absence of thinking. Satan's best weapon is to keep our eyes off of what God has stated over us through Christ. What has he stated over us through Christ? You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Those are rich words. Those are life-transforming words. That's how the Father feels about me? Yes, through Jesus. And the more you understand that, the more you can face the difficulties of life. Through Christ Jesus, you have the absolute approval and amazing presence of the only one in the whole universe whose opinion really matters. Okay, your neighbors, they don't like you. Or you even have family members that don't like you or coworkers that don't like you. It doesn't matter. He likes you. He loves you. He's in your life. He's more than enough. That, that's, that's the reality of the gospel. Okay, next point. Number four, you can't grow in holiness. You can't grow in holiness or wholeness unless you let God take over your thinking. So we're talking here biblical worldview. I gave you some verses there. One of the verses you're probably familiar with, Romans 12, 2. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, uh, and so, uh, so what we need to do is we need to immerse ourselves in Scripture so that all of culture, all the culture that you live in and the events that you experience in life are evaluated through your biblical worldview. See if you can complete this sentence for me. Talked about it a few weeks ago. So it's not what happens to you, but what happens in you, in you that matters most. It's not what happens to you. I'm not minimizing what has happened to you and what is currently happening to you. But what I'm saying is that it's what is happening in you as it relates to what is happening to you. So let me ask you, what is happening in you? What is happening in you? Do you have a biblical worldview? Are you evaluating all of life through what you understand about God through his word. That's why you can have two people going through identical circumstances. One becomes bitter and one becomes better. Because it really comes down to how are they evaluating this? And the more you begin to see the reality of our condition on this planet Earth, the more you're going to run into the arms of the only one who can ultimately save you, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to run into his arms. You're going to love him and, and know him. Now, give you a quick illustration. I'm going to go back to that thought of the fact that sometimes people will say, well, he's just, he's just too intelligent to be a believer. So let me talk about that a little bit more. In fact, I believe that a life without God is a, is a thoughtless life. If you don't believe that, just take a look at verse 14 in our text. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You weren't thinking. Now you're thinking. You're thinking. You are... As, as we said here, you are, 
uh, preparing your minds for action. You're being sober-minded. You're in touch with reality more than ever before. Let's just say that you brought a friend here to church. And, and this, uh, this is a place for unchurched people, for you to bring your unchurched family and friends. We love that. And let's just say they said to me, I'm just too in intelligent. I'm, I'm too smart to believe that stuff. And so this is, let's just say, hypothetically, this is how I would respond. I'd say, hey, so let me ask you this. How about you and I hang out together tomorrow for about three hours in the afternoon? And you may look at me saying, oh, three hours, okay, so, so why do you want to hang out with me? Just, just want to hang out. Just hang out. And so you go, well, you know, I'm really busy. Unless you can articulate for me specifically why, why you want to hang out with me, kind of give me a purpose, I really can't make time for that. Okay, okay, I'm cool with that. I know you're really busy. Let me ask you another question. What's the purpose of your life? Why are you here on this planet Earth? Well, I, I work. Okay, so you work, so why do you work? To make a living. So why do you make a living? Put food on the table. So why do you put food on the table? Because I don't want to starve. So why do you not want to starve? So, so, so I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm going to keep asking you a question to take you all the way down to the bedrock of why you are here. And people don't like that. They get ticked off. They go, don't be getting religious on me. Don't be getting all philosophical on me. And then here's my response. You mean to tell me you wouldn't spend an afternoon with me for three hours because I didn't come up with the purpose and you can't tell me the purpose of your life? Your problem isn't that you're thinking too deep. You're not thinking deep enough. You haven't worked through the implications. What is your life about? What do you hope to be remembered for? And what difference does it make? What are you living for ultimately? Your life is going to be over eventually. So where are you headed with that? What's going to happen when you die? You haven't thought that deep. Okay, so you probably don't want to hang out with me, do you, after I said all that, do you? Okay, okay thank you. So that's, I mean, those are the questions. But see, and that's, that's the issue, and that's the reason why I go back to this. So you can't grow in holiness or wholeness unless you let God take over your thinking. You have a biblical worldview. That's why Christians, as Christians and as believers, and the more we understand the scripture, we have purpose. We have acceptance through God. We have security in him. It's amazing. Here's the next couple last points here. Number five, negative patterns of thought, strongholds, burned into our minds, either through repetition over time or through traumatic experiences, must be destroyed and detained. So, so this is what we struggle with. And so what we've got to do is begin to recognize that through repetition and through traumatic experiences, here's what you need to do. And, and you do this through the work of the Holy Spirit as you study God's word, is that you've got to recognize um, homing instinct that, that we all have. Wait, 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 time, time out. Pastor, are you saying that we all have a homing instinct? I thought that was just like for birds and fish. Well, let me explain what I mean here by that, is that we have a homing instinct in the fact that we tend to always go back to that which is most familiar to us, even if it's dysfunctional. I see that in, in I saw that in my own marriage relationship. So you want to know how Nancy and I communicated and resolved conflict in our marriage relationship? It was really a whole lot like we did at our home, what we were taught by our family, unless we recognize that that was flawed, and then the tendency is to swing to that other extreme rather than to find some kind of balance because we're kind of judgmental towards them. Oh, you don't talk like that and you don't respond like that. And so we tend to go to the other extreme. It's still somewhat dysfunctional because we're overreacting 
So there's kind of a homing instinct, even how sometimes I watch, uh, I, along with the other pastors here, do a lot of marriage counseling. It's really interesting when you get to know the family, you begin to understand, wow, she's just like your mom. No, she isn't. Yes, she is. And he's just like your dad. And there's something we just kind of naturally, in fact, our understanding of God is defined by how mom and dad interacted with us within the first few years of our lives. That's defined. And so what we've got to do is begin to recognize that. Why am I not experiencing his acceptance and security and significance like I should in living the fullness of life that he has for me? Could it be that there's a stronghold in my life? Kind of this way of thinking. You also need to look for sunburns. You guys know what a sunburn is. So it's getting hot out. You work in the backyard, you get a sunburn, you put your shirt on, you come in in the foyer, you walk in the door, and I pat you on the back and go, hey, welcome to Desert Breeze. You go, whoa. I go, hey, what's up? I got a sunburn. I didn't know that. I didn't see it below your shirt. There's that overreaction to my little affection. (laughs) Okay, maybe not so much. But I was trying to be affectionate to you. But this is what's interesting is that you can be talking to someone and be affectionate to them. And anytime there's kind of an overreaction to specific names or circumstances or things from the past, what's up with that? Why are you so stressed out? If Jesus is with you and he's working in your life, why would that create this, this flare-up in your life? So that's a stronghold. It's a stronghold through maybe repetition or traumatic experience. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we, for weapons of our warfare, this is a fight. This is a fight. Our are, of the, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge, intimacy of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is almost this idea of chasing our thoughts down. That, uh, I mean, think about this. You have all of the emotional wealth you'll ever need through the acceptance, security, and significance of God through Christ Jesus, and yet we don't live there, and it's because we've got to chase those thoughts down and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, that's why we be, we've got to be careful about what we feed ourselves, our souls, through entertainment or whatever it is. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That becomes a filtering system of our life. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Number six, here it is. This is where we'll wrap it up. Beholding the glory of Christ, we become whole, and praising Christ in all circumstances is the epitome of mental health. Now, this is not a denial of reality, but in our reality, we have a bigger reality, and that's God. So we are sorrowful but always rejoicing. Remember the first part of this this text, we talked about it, verse 6 of First Peter. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So there's this balance. So it's not a denial of reality, but we're, we've, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and that's how we become whole. Praising Christ in all circumstances is the epitome of mental health. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about that. Behold, we behold him, we become whole more and more like him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. A couple quotes and then we're over. 
this idea I got from uh, Piper, John Piper, from a message you can download. It's a really wonderful message. He was speaking to about five or 6,000 uh, Christian psychiatrists, psychologists, and this is what he said, beholding the glory of Christ, we become whole, seeing and savoring Christ as the epitome of mental health. And this is what he said, I quote, God is profoundly honored and glorified in the very act of our being profoundly completed and satisfied in him. God exists to be glorious. We exist to see glory and savor that glory and to give it expression and praise. That is the ultimate goal of redemption. And so I take it to be a statement about the ultimate meaning of human wholeness. If praising God's glory is our final destiny, then seeing and savoring and praising God's glory must be at the heart of what it means to be fully human. Seeing and savoring God is therefore the heart of mental health. Now, another quote, C.S. Lewis uh, argued in his reflections on the Psalms that there, there is a pointer to this truth in all of human praise. This is what he said, and I quote, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless sometimes even if shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poets, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, and he goes through this whole list and then he concludes by saying in this part of the statement, I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. So let me ask you this. When you're navigating through life, are you like a, are you a misfit, crank, malcontent that you praise least, or do you praise God? Because what we're learning is that that seems to be the epitome of mental health. Whether you can make heads or tails out of it, you know he's holy, and your life is wholly his. Now, let me give you another illustration of what I mean by that. We, uh, we went on a hike this last week, weekend. And so Nancy and I, we went with uh, the Epic Ministry here at Desert Breeze, wonderful ministry, and there were 16 of us that hiked down into the Havasupai Falls. Anybody ever do that before? Uh, it's, it's, it was a wonderful hike, 10-mile hike down in there, packs, and so we're hiking down in there, and you got to understand me a little bit, is that I'm not like, I mean, I don't like camping out, uh, because why do you want to pretend to be homeless for a few days, okay? <laughs> There's no need for that, okay? That's, that's what I'm thinking. See, here's, here's what I like. I want to go hike a mountain, come back to the Hyatt Regency. Okay, anybody with me on that? Okay. Okay, just half of you. The other half probably like that roughing it and toughing it. So this was roughing and toughing it. We're packing down whatever we're going to have for three days on our backs. So we're getting down there, you know, and it's tiring, it's, it's rough, but it, man, I'm telling you, the scenery was beautiful. Let me show you a picture here that I took with my phone. And so this was just coming down the mountain. That's Havasupai Falls, one of the many falls that are there. That was with my phone. I, I mean, I didn't even doctor that picture up at all. That's, just, that's front, right from my phone. So I'm waiting there, waiting for Nancy. She's, she's a little ways behind me. Don't worry, I didn't leave her behind. 
but uh, she's walking with someone else, and, and so I'm waiting for her. As I was up on this ledge taking pictures of this, two gals walk over the ledge who are sunburned, tired, blisters, you know, aching muscles, and one glimpse of this, this is what they said, oh, it was worth it. That's what they, that's what they said. And then they begin to take pictures and they're standing in front, take a picture of me here. I mean, they were energized. They were energized by that. I just thought, oh my goodness. The Lord spoke to me so strongly that if that's true in the, in the uh, temporal, how much more true is that in the eternal? Um, and by the way, you know, we got down there and man, I, I appreciate chairs now. When you're standing around sitting on logs, my back and butt and everything else hurt. And then, and then sleeping on the ground, we took some of these little cushions down there. They were worthless. <laughs> my back, it just, it was, it hurt like crazy. And then, uh, and then, you know, I kind of like refrigerators. They're pretty cool. <laughs> Walk up, get some food out. And we're packing everything down there. And yet, in spite of all of that, all the achy muscles and all that, and then coming out was even more difficult. I mean, it's really, we should have left, we are thinking, we should have left about four o'clock in the morning because it's stinking hot as we're coming to those switchbacks. But here's the amazing thing, is that on the way out, we're talking about our next trip. Why is that? We were captivated because of the amazing experience. Let me tell you something. When you behold his glory and beauty, you're gonna say, it's all worth it. So we get glimpses of it this side of eternity, eternity, but eventually, man, when you come face to face with him, you're gonna say, it was worth it. All the achy muscles, all the sleepless nights, all the strain, all the sunburns, all the, oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. See, that's mental health. That's why you can praise God even in the midst of the difficult times because he's with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He loves you. You have no idea how much he loves you. Let's pray. Just bow your heads with me just for a moment. Let's reflect on what we talked about. <clears throat> so God, um, even as I've reflected on this, it's just, I mean, even here, third service this weekend, as I've reflected on this throughout the week, it's just, it overwhelms me. It just overwhelms me. I love you. I thank you for your love for us. You are holy, holy, holy. With your heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me share with you a story. There were five missionaries in, in the mid-1950s who sought to go to Ecuador and contact a very primitive, uh, illiterate tribe. They wanted to learn their language and put the language down on paper so that they could teach them to read and write and to translate the Bible into their, to their language. And the night before, these five missionaries went to contact the Indians. They sang this hymn all together. We rest on thee, our shield and defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. 
The next day, they were all speared to death by the Indians. There was a movie about them called The End of the Spear. Now, if God was their accomplice, their partner or assistant, he had failed them. But if God was their holy, loving, wise, sovereign God, then he powerfully used them as they were wholly surrendered to him, inspiring a whole generation of missionary work. And even eventually winning this primitive Indian tribe to the Lord. One of the martyrs they found in, in his journal that he had written these words, it was Jim Elliott, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so God, we give you our lives, we surrender. Our lives holy to you because you are a holy, holy, holy God. Help us to remember that the Christian faith is historical, it's factual, it's evidential, and that, that if we are truly worshiping you, this truth will enter our heads, ignite our hearts, and be walked out through our hands and how we relate to others. Help us to see that the foundation of our faith is this biblical thinking, focusing on the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be so captivated by him. May we grow in holiness by saturating our lives with your word. May we begin to deal with the negative patterns of thought, these strongholds in our life, so that we can experience more of this fullness of life you have for us. And so teach us how to behold your glory Lord Jesus, so that we can become whole, praising you, Lord Jesus Christ, in all circumstances, because that is the epitome of mental health. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next uh, weekend as we talk about wholeness of our, really, our emotions and all of that. God bless you.